Well, this morning we're continuing with our series, Reconnecting with God and Reconnecting with Each Other. And if you were here with us last week or you've been watching online, we were looking at God the Father. So there's no prizes for guessing what we're looking at this morning. We are going to be looking at God the Son, sort of following on from that. Um, but just before we get on to that, just to say thank you to all those who have been praying um, this week for me, for Chris, for, for Sarah and George, who've been away at the Fresh Dreams Conference. Um, Fresh Dreams is a sort of gathering of um, ministers, youth workers, leaders, and um, children's workers across the Baptist um, sort of churches. About 350 of us gathered, and it was just a really refreshing time of really powerful teaching, um, some great worship, and just great spending time together as well. So thank you for your prayers. We'll drip feed some of what has, um, was said over those weeks into our messages. Um, we may even do a bit of feedback at the church meeting, Chris. Do you think that'll be a good idea? Yeah, Chris is giving me the thumbs up. We will do some of that as well. But for today, we're focusing on the most important thing, aren't we? We're focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us before we do that. Lord Jesus, there is so much we can say about who you are. But we just come in awe and worship this morning. Lord, we've raised our voices in praise already. And I pray that as we open your word together, that you would just inspire us. You would change us. You would transform us. You would help us to capture a glimpse again of who you are as the Son of God. So by your Spirit that has been poured out on all flesh, move amongst us, we pray, and help us to turn our eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Many religions offer different things. Many of the major religions of the earth offer things like spirituality, meditation, rules for living, codes of practice. Only Jesus offers us a direct way to God the Father. It says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I was talking to somebody a number of years ago, and they said, you know, there are many ways to Jesus. You can find Jesus in all kinds of different places. And we look at the Bible and we see that it's true. You know, Paul is going on the road to Damascus to persecute followers of Jesus. And what happens? He encounters him as he appears to him in the sky. What we see when the first disciples are walking down the beach is Jesus simply says, follow me. A totally different way that Jesus approaches them. Then we see Paul preaching in Athens. And we see he's there talking philosophy with the philosophers. And people are saved. They've encountered God in a different way. But you know, there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus, the Son of God. That ever-giving love of God that comes down and rescues us and takes us and repairs the relationship. The relationship broken since Adam and Eve um, went their own way in the garden. And so we're going to look at three things again this morning about Jesus, who is the Son of God. Remember last week we had three things about God the Father? This week we've got three things about God the Son. Do you want to say them after me firstly? Jesus is God. Say that after me. Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And thirdly, Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. Just remember those three things. Jesus is God, Jesus saves, and Jesus reigns. So if you have a Bible with you, the verses are also going to be on the screen. We're going to start off in 1 John 1, verses 1 to 4. It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which, which, was, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Believe it or not, we're just over a week since the end of Christmas. It's only a few days ago since Epiphany, and it feels like an age away, doesn't it? But when we were away this, this last week, on the second night we were staying there, I was struggling to get to sleep. I don't know what you're like sleeping in a strange bed in a strange place. But unusually for me, I slept really well the first night, and then the second night I couldn't get to sleep. And there was a reason for that. There was somebody in the room below me who, who seemed to think the shouting a conversation was, was great until sort of 1 p.m. sort of thing. And there were doors banging. So I decided to take action. I put on a playlist of soothing classical music. And I got this from, from Apple Music. Apple Music is a bit like Spotify, only better. Well, I think it's better anyway. And, but the thing is, I'd forgotten to put an end timer on this playlist. So it just kept running right the way through the night. And this playlist got to an end, and I was awoken by the bare necessities at 6.26 <laughs> for some very strange reason. Anyway, that isn't what I wanted to talk about, but I just thought that was worth throwing in. Um, Partway through this playlist, it mustn't have been altered since Christmas because I was suddenly aware that O Come All Ye Faithful was being played on a classical guitar. And it was sort of pinging away as I was drifting off to sleep. Now we sing that carol year after year. We hear it time and time and time again. And yet the second verse of it is so incredibly important. Anyone want to recite the second verse of O Come All Ye Faithful? God from God. Go on, Nicholas, shout it out. That's right. Well done. Comes from the Nicene Creed, written by the church in 325 to sum up who Jesus is. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, consubstantial with the Father. Don't worry, we're not unpacking all those long words this morning. But what we're singing about, what we say, is that God and Jesus, Jesus is God. He is exactly the same thing. He is God himself. He is fully God. Light from light, God from God. The Greek, um, uh, there's a Greek word that the church fathers use called homousios, which means the same substance. Whatever God is made of, Jesus is made of exactly the same stuff. He is fully and totally God. He's not less than God. He's not more than God. He just simply is God. And so the Apostle John, probably the most poetic of the writers of the New Testament, in both the prologue to John's Gospel and this little intro, I'll go back to it here, this little intro to his letter in 1 John, talks about the eternal word that has been made flesh. The one where it says in verse 2, which was with the Father. He talks about Jesus being the word, being light, being life, all these things that the Father is. You know, if we study the scriptures, if we study what the early church taught about, we have no option. We can either say Jesus is a complete and dangerous madman, or he is God. We can't say he's a good person or a nice teacher. Those options, I think it's C.S. Lewis says, aren't available to us. He's either mad, bad, or he's God. No, I believe he's God. I believe that is what the Bible teaches. I believe that because I've encountered Jesus, and I believe that to be true. But just think about that for a moment. Jesus who is fully God, comes to earth 
as a baby. Now, a baby is fragile, frail. He takes all the frailty of humanity. He's born to a woman, born to Mary, who is part of the creation. The creator is born by part of his creation. Fully God, he empties himself. And this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this, this perfection is altered as Jesus comes into the world. There's, there's a, another, sorry, I won't go on about Greek words all morning. But I was reminded of this word this week at this conference, perichoresis. It sounds a bit like a skin condition. But actually what it is, it's a word that means indwelling or choreography. And it was a word that, again, the early church was used to describe the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's the idea that they exist in this sort of divine dance, this choreographed way of indwelling. See that Celtic knot there? That kind of intertwining has no beginning, no end. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're distinct, but they're all God. Now, whilst we were singing at this conference, I suddenly had a bit of a revelation. Do you ever get those moments where something suddenly pops into your mind? Now, I don't know whether this is good theology or not, so you might pull me apart afterwards. But I just got this image. You know, as Jesus comes to the earth, that perfection of Trinity is changed. The cost of our salvation starts at incarnation because the Trinity no longer exists while Jesus becomes a human in that kind of way. Now, don't throw stones at me. I don't know if that is very good theology, but I would just have this image of the change in the Godhead for the price of our salvation. Just last week, we spoke about the vastness of God, the God who is beyond our comprehension. I don't know if you've had your mind blown away by who God is this week, just to think about him. But just think about this. Let's have our minds blown again. That God, the creator of everything, would take our frail human bodies and walk among us out of love so that we may know him again. Irenaeus of Lyon. It's a good name, isn't it? It's better than Jonathan of Stockport. But Irenaeus of Lyon puts it like this. He became what we are so that we might become what he is. I love that. That sense that he, Jesus, comes into the earth so that we might share in his eternity. It's mind-blowing stuff. Jesus is God, nothing less. And this really matters because only God can do the things that Jesus does. And that's because Jesus is God. So let's move on. Let's look at Jesus saves. And we've got another passage of scripture here from 1 Peter Chapter 2. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. On our journey to the conference this week, um, we stopped outside Buxton. I don't know if you know the A6 through Buxton. Um, There's a Morrison's on the left-hand side. This was not a glamorous lunch. This was buy something quick, eat it, and carry on. And the glamour of my lunch consisted of a meal deal, of a prawn sandwich, a bag of plain crisps, 
and a cup of coffee. I told you it was not particularly extravagant. Now, I like prawns. I don't know if you like prawns, but I like them as long as they're fresh. They're, they're good things. But if they go off, they um, cause all kinds of problems. Now, there was a problem with this prawn sandwich because I, as I got up to put the rubbish in the bin, a prawn fell out and fell down the side of the car seat and disappeared. I have yet to find it. <laughs> but what I know is that prawn will not be in any fit state to eat. And if I don't locate it very soon, the car will have an interesting aroma that would not be one you would find in an air freshener. Prawns go off. They rot. They stink. They become horrible. Now, as we look at our world, we see that our world has gone off. We see that our world, well, literally in some occasions, but it stinks. Sin has marred what God created. The perfection that God called us to live in, um, the, the, the Garden of Eden, that, that perfect relationship between God and humanity, is gone. It, it's no longer what we experience. And the Bible traces that decay right back, as we've already said, to the fall, to that time when Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and stop responding to God's call. And the decay has set in, and it, it gathers pace very quickly in Genesis. And within a few verses, what happens is Cain murders his brother Abel. And then the world keeps spiraling and spiraling. And the rot has set in. The purity and dignity of relationship with God that we were created for has been severed. And you know what? We can't get back on our own. And the wreckage continues, doesn't it? We look at our world today and we see wreckage all around us. We attempt to do impressive things. And as humanity, we have done some impressive things. Look at some of our buildings, look at some of our works of art, our music, our science, our clever thinking. But even with all that, what do we see? Do we see a world that's going towards perfection? Do you look at our world, our country, our nation, and see how we're heading in every way in the right direction? Or do we see decay and rot and sin and injustice and all the things that God wouldn't want for us? We see climate change, we see human trafficking, all the things that remove human dignity. And the one thing that we cannot do of ourselves is repair that damage. We have nothing within us that can do it. Now, that is not to say that as human beings, we can't still do good things. You know, we are made in God's image. Let's not forget that. And even the worst of us, we can still do some good things. But I don't know about you, but when I do something that I know is good, even that is tainted. You know, I can do good things and then actually want recognition for it. And so I invert it all around. Even the best work of a charity can be done, and we have to sometimes question what is going on, because our motives are not pure. Even the most noblest person who has ever walked this earth, apart from Jesus, is flawed. Look inside yourself for the moment. If you're not flawed, would you just raise your hand? I'm very glad everyone has their hands firmly down, because we are flawed, aren't we? We are, we are decaying. We are broken by what has gone wrong. And just as a rotten prawn lingering in the, the underneath of the seat in the car, can't become fresh again. So we cannot get back to God on our own. No good of works will do it. No amount of trying, no amount of meditation, no amount of spiritual exercises can reach God on their own. And so the fact that Jesus says, what does God do? Well, the self-giving God, the God who loves us so much, he sends his only son, comes to rescue us. He becomes just like me and like you. Because he came and lived a perfect life. He never fell like we have. And so Paul in Romans 5 says we have a choice. We can either be part 
of all the decay, part of Adam, part of all that has gone wrong, or we can become part of all that has been made new, the new Adam, Christ. And so as we look behind us this morning, we see both the cross and the communion table laid out. We see the place where Jesus will die for us, but also the emblems of bread and wine that remind us of his broken body. Jesus, a pure and spotless sacrifice for our sin. Jesus takes on what we couldn't. He dies so that we might live. He takes on sin so that we can walk in freedom. Now, for many of us, I know that we know all this. This is the sort of basic stuff of the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. But I wonder, do we need to just remember again who we are as God's children? Do we need to remember again the price that has been paid? Because through Christ, we are restored. Through Christ, we are made new. Jesus, as he dies on the cross, he takes everything upon himself. And he defeats the one thing, death itself. And then he arises from the, from the grave. And because he has risen and he has come to new life, we too can follow in that new life. I don't know about you, but I think this is the most mind-blowing thing. And we get so complacent with the gospel, don't we? We get so complacent of actually what Jesus has done. It's not anything we can earn. We don't deserve it. It's all through love, all through grace, all received by faith. Now, you might be here today, and you've never said yes to that offer of Jesus to follow him. You've never said yes to having sins forgiven and to be able to live in a way that, that, that goes in a totally different direction to the decay of this world. And at the end of our, our time together this morning, we will offer a chance, if you want to respond yes to Jesus, just the chance and opportunity to do that. Jesus restores, he enables us to become part of all that will be made new. But you know, as we journey with Jesus, that, that salvation, that first knowing him, that first becoming part of everything that is made new is only the starting gun. Um, I used to enjoy sprinting. I don't know if, if we have any sprinters in the room here. I'm now, sadly, a lot slower than I used to be. Um, but I can remember winning um, the, the sprints when I was in top juniors. And you get to the starting line, and they've got this fake pistol that they, they sort of fire off. And the starting line is just that, isn't it? You don't get very far if you don't get going. And being um, that, that first saying yes to Jesus is the starting line. It's not where we're meant to end up. We're not meant to end up just here saying yes to Jesus and then not being transformed. But it's saying, come on, get going, run ahead. Paul talks about aiming for the prize. Keep going, keep being changed. And we have all these long words that, that we use in church. And sometimes, let's not be ashamed of our long words because they're great. Regeneration, you know, being remade into, the, into who God would call us to be. Sanctification, being made holy, being made like God is. But, you know, sometimes as Christians, it can be very easy to just stay on the starting line and to not really get going and to just stay in a kind of way of thinking, well, God will forgive me. Um, so it's sort of cheap grace. You know, I'll do bad things and then I'll say sorry. That's not how God calls us to live once we're saved. He calls us to run. He calls us to capture who he is. He calls us to be empowered by the Spirit. He calls us to keep going. He calls us to be transformed to not keep going back into those old ways of behaving. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but there are always things in my life that I haven't yet dealt with. There's always sin 
that creeps in those corners. There's always things that actually um, hold us back. And it may be today, as you gather around the communion table, that we just need to say to the Lord, I need to do business with you, and I need to ask that you will give me victory over these sins, victory over whatever it is that is stopping us from running. You know, as we look to reconnect with God, let's not stay at the starting line, but let's run into all that Jesus has for us. But there's one more thing about Jesus saving us that I want to talk about, and it's this. That is not just a message for us. You see, when the early church heard who Jesus was, when they had heard all the revelation, they had seen Jesus, the Apostle John talks about touching the one who is the word of life. You can imagine him having his hand on Jesus' shoulder. Imagine doing that, being able to physically reach out and touch the one who is God in flesh. But this message, this glorious message of the gospel is for everybody. I think we forget that sometimes. It is for everybody. And the purpose of the church is to be the hospital that rescues people, not to be the hotel for the saved. I don't know if you've been in A&E, A&E recently. Anyone had the joy of going into A&E? A&E is not a place you go to if you want to relax. Um, it's a place where people come in with all kinds of injuries and illness before they get treated. But it's the place where you have to pass through in order to then go on and get treated with whatever happens next. And I just get this idea that actually as church, we are called to be the A&E department for Jesus. We are called to be the place where people can come, where lives can start to be transformed, where the brokenness of the world meets the incredible love of the Savior. You know, sometimes I think we, we get a bit afraid of that kind of mess in our church. Now, in our house, um, Claire and I have different views on messiness. Um, Claire likes certain places to be tidy in the house, apart from a dressing table, which always looks like a war zone. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, but I, I'm a bit more lax when it comes to, to tidiness and messiness. You know, I, I like a bit of messiness. And if you look at my desk, you would see that there's piles of books, there's bits of paper with scribbles written all over it, because it's good to have everything to hand. Why put it all away when you can have it to hand? I can see some people nodding, nodding with me, and some people shaking their heads. But you know, as a church, we need to be welcoming in the messiness of the world. Absolutely, otherwise we're missing the point. Now, I love it when new people join us, and it's been great. If you're new here, you are most welcome, and it is great to have you amongst us. But I sometimes think that when we want new people to come, we want them to be like us. We want them to already have nice, tidy lives, rather than to bring in all this mess that the world has and say, actually, we're coming to the A&E department. We're coming to be rescued. Where does Jesus minister the most? Does he minister to the nice, respectable synagogues? Does he go around there doing a nice preaching tour? No, he doesn't. He goes out to the people who are broken. He ministers to lepers who nobody else had talked to. He ministers to people caught in adultery. He ministers to people whose lives are just all over the place, to women who have had bleeding that puts them away from society. And so many of the healings that Jesus actually performs, yes, they're physical healings, but they bring people back into community. The unclean are made clean again, and they are welcomed into community. You know, if we want to be a church that really proclaims the message that Jesus saves, we're going to have to roll our sleeves up. We're going to have to not be afraid of the messiness of this world. One of the, the speakers this week also um, talked about how often, as, as comfortable middle-class Christians, we have a little box with Jesus' name on it, and it slots into somewhere in our life. And we have all these other boxes with other things on them, and they may have things like, you know, 
going to the gym or, or our work life or taking our kids to, to ballet or whatever else it might be and all these different things. And Jesus is just one of these things. And this particular speaker said, if you read the New Testament and you read about what happened to the apostles after the New Testament, being a Christian is never a slot in to a comfortable life. But it's a radical life of discipleship. If our lives are not turned upside down by the gospel, then we've got to ask ourselves the question, which gospel are we actually reading? Because Jesus taught in the mess, he operated in the mess, and his life, his message turns lives upside down. And it may be that for me, or for you this morning, that actually, as we look at who Jesus is, we just need to say again, Lord, would you just turn my life upside down? Would you get me out of my comfort and help me to follow you again? Finally, and quite briefly, Jesus reigns. Some beautiful words from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Last year, we had three prime ministers, and very sadly, following the death of the Queen, two heads of state. It's unsettling times that we've, we've lived through and we've lived in, isn't it? And yet, in eternity, Jesus reigns. And his reign is not changing, and it's not going anywhere. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because what we see now is not the end. This is where we're heading, to the new heaven and to the new earth. This is what being saved means. It means we get to be part of all of this. It's good news because this is where our destination is. We're not destined for eternity away from God. We're destined for eternity with God. Now, just think for a moment, when was the last time that you cried? You don't need to shout it out. When was the last time that you cried? Now, as children, you tend to cry a lot, don't you? Think back to perhaps when you were five or six, when those first memories um, really start to kick in. I used to cry over all kinds of things. I used to cry because my mum wanted to knit me a jumper and I didn't like the look of it. I used to cry because I'd fallen over and I'd grazed my knee. I used to cry for all kinds of reasons. I, I don't quite do that as much anymore. But if you think about the times you cry, you cry because there's a dislocation between what you'd hoped for and the reality of what is. That is often one of the reasons that we cry. And yet here comes the saviour of the world, the one who has given everything for us, and says at the end of all things, the need for tears and the tears themselves are gone. Now, it's really tempting if somebody's crying to put an arm on the shoulder and say, it's all going to be okay. But we can't promise that. We can never promise that. But there is one who can and Jesus comes, and perhaps today he just needs to put his arm on your shoulder and say, whatever you're going through now is not the final word. Everything, ultimately, if you're in Christ, will be more than okay. It'll be this. It'll be the tears gone, the pain gone, all the hardship gone, because Jesus reigns, and he comes to restore all 
that is broken. Is that good news this morning? Is that something to live for? Is that something to share? Is that something that should inspire us to be that A&E unit for the gospel? Now, I don't know how you want to respond to all about Jesus today, but I'm going to offer you two, two different ways in a moment when I pray for us. And the first one is this. Perhaps you've been coming to church for, for a while, or um, you're watching online, and you're just dropping in, seeing what this is all about. It may be today that you need to say a first yes to Jesus. Now, in a few moments, just while we're in prayer, I'm going to ask you, if you want to do that, just stick your hand up, and I will pray for you. But it may be you've been a Christian for many, many, many years. Um, it was a real privilege last Sunday night to have Ralph preaching. And I think, Ralph, you've been a Christian for, is it 77 years? Something like that. I know I was trying to do the maths last Sunday night. But it's a quite a while anyway. And you may have been a Christian um, as long as Ralph. But we still need to say a deeper yes to Jesus. We are not finished yet. We are still running the race. And it may be at that point when I just offer that chance to respond, just to put our hand in the air and say, yeah, I want to say a deeper yes to Jesus, who is the Son of God this morning. I want to reconnect with him in a deeper way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us all, whether you normally close your eyes to pray or not, can we close our eyes? I'm going to pray for us. I will keep my eyes open just so I can see if there are people responding, um, and I will pray for us. So dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you were obedient to your Father. You came out of love for us. You came to rescue us from the rot, the decay, and the sin of this world. And it may be today that whether you're watching online, whether you're in the room today, that you want to say that initial yes to following Jesus. If that is you this morning, um, obviously if you're online I won't be able to see you, but if you're in the room, just put your hand in the air and I will pray for you. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you for those who've raised their hand. And I just want to pray that that initial yes will be the start of a real journey with you a journey into holiness, a journey of life, and a journey into eternity. And secondly, I want to ask you if you want to just recommit yourself this morning to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, would you just deal with me at a deeper level? Whatever that means for you, just raise your hand now and I'll pray for you. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you are, for all that you have done. And Lord, this morning, I just want to pray that as we say yes to that call of you on our lives, you'll help us once again to realize who you are, to journey life with you. And Lord, whatever you need to challenge and change in us, Lord, we just give you permission to do that. Help us to reach out in the power of your name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.